Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views. The place for pets and the people who love them. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Here are your hosts, practicing veterinarians, Dr. Roger Welton and Dr. Karen Lewis. Welcome, pet lovers, back to Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Roger Weldon, practicing veterinarian. I say one of your hosts because we now have a lovely co-host. I'd like to introduce again, for the second time, Dr. Karen Lewis. Good evening, Dr. Karen. How are you this evening? Good evening. I'm, I'm good. We'll, we'll do another one of these and see how it goes. <laughs> Excellent. So you're a fellow blogger like me. Um, you, you run a blog called vetchick.com. Can you just fill us in a little mm-hmm. bit on it for those folks out there that haven't heard you yet? Yeah, it's um, so vetchick.com. It's basically if you ever wish you had a friend who was a veterinarian and somebody who could just explain things to you in a more down-to-earth kind of way, that's what my blog is. So uh, Dr. Rogers' blog is the more black and white, you know, facts, these are the facts, and I'm more – Hey, let's chit chat about it, if that makes any sense. So, um, yeah, so our two blogs complement each other pretty well, actually. But um, if you want more of the um, go next door veterinarian, then you went vetchick.com. I think that sums it up very well. I mean, the contrasting styles, I do think, complement one another. Um, there's people that are more like me, people more like you, and then there's some that want a little bit of both, you know. And uh, I think it's a, it's a great contrast. And I think I think we're a good contrast for this particular show as well. So uh, let's uh, keep this going. Uh, We're going to talk about a topic tonight that uh, I can't say I have a ton of experience with being in Florida and all. We're talking about ice melt and other winter dangers based on a wonderful blog post that Dr. Karen posted about. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But Dr. Karen, we got some mail tonight. Can we talk about that uh, before we dive into our Horrible oh, topic yeah. of cold things and snow and things like that. Well, mail makes us feel warm and fuzzy, so let's do mail. Then we'll go to the cold crap. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, so we have a our first email. And by the way, if you want to send in any email uh, comments, questions, concerns, uh, anything regarding not just the show, but anything you're wondering about, uh, Dr. Karen and I will go through emails and consider some to discuss on the air comments at web-dvm.net comments at web-dvm.net that's web-dvm.net is my blog and right now we're taking our emails for the show through there and we'll go ahead and air them for you so our first question hello dr roger sorry this guy doesn't know you just yet my apologies that's okay yeah it's only our second episode (laughs) my name is martin and i am contacting you from the state of california i'll try to keep the message as short as possible if i can help it i am an undergrad student thinking about going into the veterinary field and i must admit you have truly sparked slash developed my interest into the field i come from a latin heritage with no medical professionals in the family so it was great to have your podcast to listen to you to get some insight I hope you understand, Dr. Roger, that you have a listener here whose life you have really positively influenced, and I cannot thank you enough. You inspire me to always learn more. You make things very easy to understand, and I have yet to find another information source that does the same in the manner that you do. I can go on and on, but I will just give you a big thanks and call it that, or call it at that. Thank you. Anyways, I have a question I hope you can answer on the air for me. I have heard from a few veterinarians and from other sources that a scary percentage of graduating 
Veterinary students regret ever taking that route to begin with due to the high tuition prices and low pay for the amount of money invested. I have yet to do enough research on this, but I wanted to get your opinion. What were your thoughts about your profession right after graduating and now? Also, if you had the chance to do things again, what would you have done differently? Do you have a quick advice for your pre-vet listeners, experience, school application, etc.? I hope this question is not too long to air. Doctor, thanks for your time. I appreciate all that you do. I would appreciate a shout-out, even if this question won't make it on the air. So so thank you, Martin, for all those kind words. Um, I Believe it or not, my last name is Welton, but I have a Latin American heritage as well on my mom's side. My mom was actually born in Bogota, Colombia, which is why I'm a tan guy with uh, the last name Welton. My dad's got uh, – he's the Irish side. So I actually now, with my blonde, blue-eyed wife, I have blonde hair, blue-eyed, very tan children, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> At any rate, I've been doing all this talking. I'm, my voice needs a rest for a moment. Dr. Karen, how about you weigh in first on this? Oh, sure. So it was funny. So when Dr. Roger um, told me that he had some emails, this is actually a really timely subject because the first thing we both said was, it sounds like Martin has had really good vets talk to him who are honest because it's so easy for a vet to say, oh, you want to go to vet school? Great, go to vet school. You know, good luck to you. But uh, you're right. There is, there's a very large national debate. It's been going on, I'd say, probably about the last five years of these veterinarians are graduating from vet school with these ex- exorbitant student loans and the salary does not compensate for the amount of student debt you have. Uh, so now they're actually working on laws that they're passing, basically saying your total student debt cannot exceed this amount because it will be greater than 25% of your salary or whatever that number is. So the fact that it's a problem that's being acknowledged is, I think, a good first step for the the field, but it is a real problem. Um, I do have friends in my vet school class. I graduated in 2004 from the University of Illinois, and I have some who are no longer even in the field. Uh, I have one who works at a Walmart pharmacy. I have a friend who owns a steam cleaning service, you know, and they just, they get out of the field and they actually make more money doing other things like that and they sell the student loans. So it's, it's a big decision. It's not one to take lightly because you got to, you will, unless you're fortunate enough to work a lot through vet school or get scholarships, which are few and far between, let me tell you, um, (laughs) it's, it's, it's a real problem. Uh, I, I agree. It's something that people got to really think about. And, and I think you also have to look at <clears throat> what kind of individual person you are. Are you getting into it just to, just for the medicine or do you have an entrepreneurial spirit? I think that makes a big difference. There's a big disparity in veterinary incomes. And a big, a big part of that disparity is what is your end goal? Do you want to be an associate doctor? Just come in, do your job, go home. Or do you have aspirations to own your own practice? Do you want to branch out in other ways? Do you want to be a blogger or have a podcast, for example? <laughs> um, do you want to uh, purchase a practice? Do you want to start a practice from scratch? Are you a risk taker? You got to think about all these things because like you, Karen, I have colleagues that are really just scraping to get by, the classmates of mine. I, I gra- I'm a graduate of Ross University, did my clinicals at Illinois. And they, Illinois charged me a lot more money to go there than they charged you, <laughs> um, <laughs> such as the nature of Ross University where they, they place us at the, the AVMA schools. But I have colleagues that are just sc- scraping to get by, and I have some that are, that are doing very, very well. And it, it's the ones, f- from my perspective, 
that have the entrepreneurial spirit in addition to the passion for the profession of the medicine that seem to overcome the student loan burden better or more effectively. So you got to think about where do you lie there? Do you see yourself as an ambitious person? I was ambitious for the moment I came out of my mom's womb in everything I did in life, whether it was lacrosse or uh, girls or, <laughs> of course, thing of, the, thing of the past. That's in the past. but uh, or, or, you know, academics, veterinary medicine, pursuing the best monetary reward I can pursue given the constraints of my profession. I have a orthopedic surgeon friend on the human side. He's not a veterinary orthopedic surgeon who makes a ton of money in comparison um, and has less loans than I do. So, you know, I, I take that into consideration. So that, that was always been a driving force. So yeah, I, I took the risks. I, I invested in my own practice. Um, it took me 10 years to get to a point where I felt I was really getting ahead because you have to put in your dues when you buy a practice. They're, they don't come free. You know, you're, you're buying a lot of files <laughs> uh, but you have to keep the files and then you have to upgrade the practice and then you have to manage your debt with investing in the practice. And there's so many moving parts and they don't teach us business in vet school. And so you got to learn the hard way, you know? So um, in hindsight, I'm glad that I did it. And knowing what I know now, I still would have done it all over again. Um, you know, sometimes learning the hard way is the best way to learn, but best advice I can give, what type of person are you? Yes, you love veterinary medicine, but are you a business person as well? Or do you just want to work in the profession? Because if you just want to work in the profession and you don't want to go for the other angles, um, you know, those two, I think those loans may be overwhelming. Any, any follow-up on that, Karen? Uh, no, I think it's a good point. Um, what I tell people is shadow a veterinarian. If you have a friend who's a veterinarian, and obviously you have somebody who is honest enough to get, tell you about the student loan problem, but see what they really do because we are not – petting puppies and kittens all day. I mean, we're telling people, hey, your dog died during surgery, or hey, smell my shirt. Does it smell like poop still? You know, I mean. <laughs> or anal glands. <laughs> yes. I, I, I kick the anal glands out of my hair. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not a glamorous job. So, um, and it's not just shadowing for a day. I mean, like, if you have a, a local vet that you can really get to know and really get nitty gritty with and see, because a lot of people, when they realize how grueling a veterinarian's job is, and I got news, you take the job home. You don't just, it's not eight to five, you don't walk out at five and say, whoo, I'm done. No, you're probably there until seven, and then cases that bother you, blood work that came back wonky, guess what? You're going home and you're reading about it and researching it and always thinking about it. So um, it, it's it's your life, <laughs> fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know. But so, um, but I would say definitely get a really good idea of what all is involved by finding a, a good that in your area that'll let you just shadow them. That's great advice. Uh, one one uh, young lady who worked in my practice for three years while she was getting her prereqs done to go to vet veterinary school, apply to veterinary school, go to veterinary school. She had a different perspective on it, you know, having worked in in my clinic and came in as an entry level position, and then just learned the profession. And she, yet she still went for it. But she was like, "Wow, this is way way different than what I expected." But I still mm -hmm. want it. I still want it. I still want to do what you do. So, yeah. Well, do, we, do we judge her for that a little bit? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, yeah, I think we're all a little touched. None of us are entirely normal. I mean, no, no. no normal is on the human side of, of MD. You know, that the, the, I'm sorry, quote unquote real doctors. I'm sorry, I love to say that because I hear that. But all the actually, time. one thing I tell people is 
I have people who are like, oh, I want to be a vet because I want to save animals and help animals. And it's kind of cynical, but it's kind of true when I say this. If you really want to help animals that are like in a shelter or save lives, go to school and get a degree in freaking business or finance or something. Become a freaking millionaire because all those people are. Yeah. You won't have any student loans, and then donate your money to help rescues and shelters. You'll do a lot more than some poor vet who's bogged down with student loans. <laughs> so, and we're always going to make a face at me. And I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm kind of tongue in cheek, but I do have a point that you know, if if veterinary medicine might not be what you're good at, do what you are good at, make a lot of money doing it, and help people out or help animals that way. I absolutely love your candor. You know that. <laughs> I, I just want to say, hey, don't hold back now. Tell us what you really think. <laughs> All right. Well, that that was a great topic, Martin. Thank you so much for sending that. And uh, keep the emails coming. Next uh, email, we're talking about turmeric, or how do you say it in the Midwest? Oh, the Midwestern speak is turmeric. Turmeric. I, I've heard I've heard it said that way. I don't know who's right. Uh, all Midwesterners claim that they have no accent. That they're they're the perfect English. Well, we're right in the middle. At least that's what my wife said, who's from Illinois. So, Um, All right. So, hi, Dr. Roger. Just listened to your podcast on the benefits of turmeric in dogs and was interested in your recommended dosing. You mentioned on the air that you were going to talk about it at the end of the show, but then it wasn't mentioned again. I'm sure time ran out. I'm going to cut off real quick, or I may have forgotten. Sorry about that. I don't recall. I don't recall. (laughs) I have a coworker who has an 80 pound Labrador who suffers from very bad skin allergies. He's also interested in giving his dog turmeric and would like to know what the dose that is that you recommend. And I have a whole tribe of rescues that range from eight pounds to 65 pounds. And I'm interested in it for preventative measures. Thank you so much. Look forward to hearing more of your podcast. Gigi love that name. So you want to weigh on this first or Dr. Karen? Well, I think you're definitely more of the expert on it than I am, but um, I actually am a certified personal trainer in my, you know, abundant spare time. And in <laughs> in uh, human medicine, uh, I know it's there, – there aren't a whole lot of really true double-blind scientific studies showing that turmeric is good, but there's enough anecdotal medis, like medicinal notes out there that – it can't hurt. It can only help. And so I know um, there are even some doctors who say, hey, when you're taking your fish oil, when you're taking your glucosamine, take your turmeric too. Yeah. And and so I, I'm not even aware on the human side what kind of studies there are out there. I know there's not really any credible ones on the veterinary side, at least none that I'm privy to. Um, but anecdotally, I think I see the benefit. I, I do. and And it's not just for um, anti-inflammatory situations. I, I believe it's an immune boosting agent. Um, I, I believe it's, it's, it's good for patients that are living with cancer, but you know, are not dying from it just yet. You know, they have cancer. The, 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 the owners are not inclined to get aggressive or heroic, which I never, ever judge by the way, because oncology can be a very, very horrific, um, path of treatment and we you know we're all aware, well aware of that and so what i try to do with these patients is okay so we d- we might have discovered the cancer anecdotally we might have treated let's say i, I removed a intestinal adenocarcinoma i did a resection and anastomosis reattached the gut but we know it's a high grade and the dog's going to eventually show clinical signs and die from this cancer well let's prop up that immune system to the best of our ability no i won't tell you that it is cancer killing. Uh, that to me is a, a ridiculous stretch. Um, we do, you do see that on the internet. Don't believe it. 
What you're doing, though, is propping up the immune system, reducing inflammation in the body in a very natural way. Um, you know, that's all I'll say about cancer, but it can be helpful for allergies. It could also help to fight the staph infections that tend to come with allergies. Um, as far as dosing is concerned, you want to go about, you don't want to overdo it because they can get diarrhea from it. It is a spice after all. Uh, it's a, I think it's a yummy spice. Do you ever eat this stuff? Oh, I love Indian food. So yeah. heck yeah. That's the, that's the yellow part of it. Yep. Yeah. So, so it it tastes good. So most dogs actually really like it, but, um, you want to do about an eighth of a teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight per day. Um, ideally you want to split that into two equal, uh, feedings, you know, doing a morning and night feeding. And that's usually very well tolerated, but again, it's anecdotal. I can't tell you that there's been any credible studies behind it, but I think the credible studies behind it, the lack of it is just lack of interest in anybody investing the time and the resources to do it. I don't think anybody's truly against it. Would you agree with that? Oh, they're much too busy putting money into, you know, Viagra research. (laughs) (laughs) Turmeric, man, who needs it? (laughs) Right, exactly. But interestingly enough, that while we're on skin allergies real quick, omega-3, there is a lot of credible clinical data behind it. They do a thing called – they do a thing – great scientific speech. There's a technique, a diagnostic technique called force plate analysis, right? They step on a plate, they exert a certain amount of force, and they can actually quantify improvement, lack thereof, or worsening after treatment of so much time with omega-3. And good quality omega-3 has shown great improvement with arthritic dogs. That's why I think every any joint chew you pick should have omega-3 in it. Uh, but we also know the benefits of uh, omega three for skin allergies. What's your been? Ex- what's been your experience with skin allergies and omega three? Oh, um, I any dog who has skin allergies. Again, it's one of those things I tell people it can't hurt. Right. So. Uh, I see a lot of people who don't give enough because we and as veterinarians in our field, there's a lot of debate on how much do you give, and there's really been no official. This is the dose that everyone's going to go with. There's really no even published doses that are super reliable. So we have, we're still elucidating that a little bit. Um, but I recommend every allergy dog at all be on it year round. It's got no side effects. It can't hurt. All it can do is help. And other things in the body too. You know, it's, it's not just oh, the skin. arthritis. Yeah, yeah. Arthritis, allergies, GI, whatever, you know, it's good for the blood vessels. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's a, another great question. So I hope we, we answered that. And I do thank you, Gigi, for your email. I wish you the best of luck with all your critters. So let's get into ice melt. Tell me about it. I don't even know what oh. that is. No, I'm only kidding. So, yeah, so, well, so when I left Long Island, New York, <laughs> when my last place where I practiced where it was closed, um, or I'm sorry, closed. Did I say closed? I meant cold. <laughs> um, <laughs> you wished it was closed. <laughs> yeah, right? Seriously. Actually, when I, when I left there, I left in the middle of a blizzard. Isn't that something? I, we, we packed up our U-Haul and we drove out of New York in the middle of a blizzard to come move to Florida. It was wonderful. But at any rate, I don't recall this ever being an issue back then. And, and there was plenty of snow on the North Shore of Long Island. And I grew up in New Jersey, so I don't remember this being an issue. So this must be something that's, you know, awareness or something has come up in the last several years. So yeah. well, tell me about it. So, um, so where I live, we have this white crap that comes out of the sky. <laughs> And it's called snow. <laughs> and it's magical when you're looking out your window uh-huh. and it really sucks when you're schlepping groceries through it, you know. <laughs> but um, so anyway, um, when you have a snow plow service or any kind of service that treats your vet clinic, um, there's really a lot of vet clinics don't have a say in what they use. They'll plow the parking lot, 
sprinkle some salt, call it a day. It, the way most vet clinics run, we're just talking about student debt and how hard it is. Well, it's usually the owner's cousin, Larry, you know, <laughs> snow plow on in front of his pickup, and there you go. And I got news. Cousin Larry's using the cheapest ice melt he can find. <laughs> so then I have owners coming in, and they bring their dog in. And every time it snows, I get these panic questions of, are you guys using the pet safe ice melt? Or is that regular? Because, oh, my gosh, I've heard online that if it's not pet safe ice melt, it can irritate their paws, and it's, and it's toxic. And it's it's terrible. And I honestly didn't know if they use it or not. And I'm a very honest person. So I would say, honestly, I don't know. Your dog's paws look fine. So, hey, you know, I'm not going to sweat this. But in reality, I'd be shocked because the pet safe I smelled when it first came out, it is significantly more expensive. So I don't know a single vet clinic owner who actually uses it. So, well, what is pet safe ice melt and why do we care? Um, it's so normal ice melt is salt. It is like, Big pieces of table salt, basically. If you wanted to put it on your baked potato, you could. Okay. Wow. I didn't know <laughs> that. Fine. Yeah, sodium chloride. Um, it doesn't have the iodine in it, but um, it's well, there's two <laughs> kinds, sodium chloride or calcium chloride. So, um, and it's salt, basically. Salt um, raises, uh, sorry, reduces the freezing points and makes the ice that you shovel melt, and then you just have a little wet sidewalk there. So uh, they developed pet-safe ice melt probably because they're geniuses and they knew they could make a million dollars doing it. But, um, but in reality, salt can inflame paws of some dogs. I have had a couple dogs, and they're also the real sensitive skin dogs who, if the ice didn't, if the, the ice, uh, the ice melts, I can't even talk, uh, isn't really spread out evenly, just kind of globbed in certain piles and dog happens to step in that. I have had a couple dogs come in limping because their paw hurts because it's a lot of salt and hello, you know, the phrase salt in a wound, you yeah. know, if they have any kind of cut or anything on that foot, they are hurting. So what the pet safe ice melt is, is it's something, yeah, um, it's a whole different compound. It doesn't have any salts in it at all. It's basically carbon and nitrogen. Uh, they use urea in uh, farm fields, which being in Illinois, that's something else I know more about than you. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, well we, we use urea nitrogen uh, as fertilizer for our grass here. Oh, okay. Oh, you, oh good. Yeah, Perfect. we like Same we stuff. like our pretty manicured lawns here in Florida. Oh yes, <laughs> all you yuppies. Yeah. So we grow corn. In lots, of, lots of golf courses here as well. Lots oh, of golf yeah. courses. Oh, okay. Rub it in. Sure. So, no, we have corn and snow. So where do you want to live now? Um, so, anyway, um, so yeah, so the urea is nice because it's non irritating to paws. It's actually an organic molecule. Um. So that's one thing that's nice about it. Also, if you have a dog who is prone to getting into everything or that dog who just eats everything, if he licks a little bit of salt, it's not the end of the world, it's salt, but salt can be toxic in high doses. And if you have a dog who's going to get into the bag or if it's not spread very evenly and it's kind of in a heap and he's going to munch on that heap, you could have beady, beady, beady sick dog who needs to go to the emergency clinics. So uh, if a dog gets into the urea or the pet safe ice melt, that uh, it isn't irritant. They will throw up. It's not toxic, though. You're not going to have a dog that needs to rush to the emergency clinic and be on IV fluids for three days or anything. Um, interestingly, urea is toxic to ruminants. So huh. if you have cattle or goats, don't let them eat the urea because their digestive tract actually converts it to uh, enzymes that are toxic. Most people don't have cattle and goats running around where they put ice milk on their dogs. But, you know, just, just full disclosure, <laughs> pet safe meaning dog and cat safe, not farm animal safe. 
Okay. That okay. Well, I mean, you, you never know. I mean, I remember um remember there, there was this really cool little island off the coast of Rhode Island that I used to like to go to called uh what was the name of it? Block, Block Island. It's a part of a little chain of islands that includes Nantucket. Yeah, people have heard of Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard. Well, oh, yes. a lot of people there ha- actually have um yeah, I wouldn't consider them farms. They have ruminants because there's some there's some uh something about the, the stipulation in their property tax code that if they have a certain number of ruminants they can write it off as a farm. But they're not really farms. Ooh, well so anybody yeah. listening in Nantucket, Martha's <laughs> Vineyard or Block Island, careful with the ice melt that's urea nitrogen based. Mm-hmm. Well it, it's urea based and that's the pet the pet friendly ice melt. The regular ice melt, the salt, the ruminants can actually there, it's no different than it is for the dogs and cats. Okay. Well, they have hooves, so you know. But yeah. Yeah, they, they, their feet won't bother them. They they won't now, and they probably really enjoy anything salty, right? I, you know, I well, forgot actually, my large animal medicine so much. But oh, oh, I remember in large animal medicine, you would actually leave a salt block out for right. animals to lick. Yeah. So there you go. It's your low budget salt block. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> for but but yeah. So anyway, um, but the thing is, if you're walking your dog and you walk into the neighborhood and your neighbor put down ice melt and you're like, oh my gosh, is this pet safe? Is it not? If you're worried, you don't need to panic. When you get home, wipe off your dog's feet, dry them off real good, and you're fine. You know, um, unless your dog has a cut or is that, you know, 0.1% with super sensitive skin, you'll be just fine. Um, I do have, and you might, you'll know if you have this dog, uh, the ones that have the fur that grows in between their paw pads in the bottom and it's obnoxious. Winter time might be a good time to keep that trim so they are getting less salt and crap, you know, stuck in there. It makes it easier to clean. But uh, besides that, just common sense. Just, you know, don't feed it to your dog. <laughs> and if they walk on it, maybe clean their paws when you're done and call it a day. All right. So it's not, it's, it's not nothing catastrophic. There is small cause for concern, but <clears throat> certainly not some of the hype that you're hearing. Bottom line, yeah. Okay. Well, and I think a lot of the hype is, you know, the people who make the pet safe stuff that's significantly more expensive. That you got to sell it, so maybe they're like, "Oh my gosh, you have to use ours because the other stuff will kill your dog dead." And oh, well, I've seen dogs walk across vet clinics that used it for ten years now, and they all <laughs> did oh, pretty okay. So good. Well, I mean, we have a lot of listeners in Canada. Uh, in fact, we're quite popular in Canada. Canadians, we love you. A lot, lot of listens from Canada. So we have people that listen from all over the place, and you know, I do have some local listeners. But um, this is very relevant to a lot of people, not to me in particular. Do you know? Do you know? I you have need a, to keep rubbing it in. Well, you well really I don't. <laughs> I, I have. I, I I usually sleep very well. I'm a very happy person. Very happy. I I, I love what I do. I love where I live. <laughs> um, the I do have one. I have a, a recurring nightmare though. I have a nightmare that I lost my job here for some reason. I own my own clinic, which that would be really bad if I lost my job. But I lost my job, and I I have to move back up to New Jersey to practice medicine. <laughs> and it, it's always winter when I have to move back. Oh, yes. And I'm, I'm having to buy winter clothes. It's, I, I, I'm not kidding. I actually have nightmares about having to move back up north. <laughs> oh not that I – hey, I, I'm a Jersey boy. I love Jersey. I love New York to visit glad i grew up there but oh my god i don't know how you i don't know how you do it i don't know how i did it crazy well you did it though and you lived to I tell did. i know i know but i don't know how you know it's, <laughs> it's 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 insane now when i left the island of saint kitts that's where ross university what's where you do your preclinicals it's a beautiful caribbean island i left the island because they do trimesters in january 
and I arrived to my clinical year at the University of Illinois, and it was 17 degrees. <laughs> After I just left my tropical island, I'm all tan. I look so weird and brown to everybody. Everyone's so like pale and vomit colored, you know, because no one's seen sun in weeks, months. We also were vet students, so we also never got That's to true. see the outside. That's true. That's true. Good point. Very good point. My first, uh, my first rotation was anesthesia rotation, and so you don't see much light there. You know, you're just, Mm-mm. you know. So anyway, that that was. I realized then that was that that planted the seed. Like I really don't like winter, and um, but if I ever have to do move back, then I don't have to worry too much about ice melt. Apparently, yeah. as far as my Labrador's feet are concerned. Yeah, you'll be good. <laughs> awesome. Just now, don't eat it. <laughs> well, 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 just don't eat it, right? While we're on the topic of winter dangers, uh, we got a few minutes here. You, you, you want to bring up some other winter hazards that I'm not privy to? Anyway. Sure, just you can rub it in that you. Yeah, we'll we'll keep. <laughs> sure, we'll keep going here. <laughs> but the well, Canadian listeners, thing, you know, we got to help them out. Another thing people always wonder about is um, how long is too long to have my pet in the cold you know when does flesh freeze i worry about frostbite on their feet all that good stuff and um a lot of it's very breed specific too i mean obviously your siberian husky i mean look at the iditarod sled dogs you know right. those dogs are <laughs> they can be outside a while and be okay yeah. your chihuahua from mexico probably not <laughs> so you know um, so there's really no everybody wants me to say oh when it's you know, 18 degrees, your dog should be out for six and a half minutes and no more, you know, and that's right. these people, because they love the dog and they want to know, but I'm like, honestly, your dog goes out, it does his business. Um, when it's really cold, my dogs will actually start to do what I call the hot foot, which is they'll pick up one foot than the other foot because it's so cold, their uh-huh. feet hurt. So, okay, let's, let's get our dogs in, you know, right. um, right. But that's a question I'm asked a lot, and I wish I could give a more specific answer to. But I just say, you know, it's common sense. You know your dog. Um, flash freezing really doesn't happen in living <laughs> animals. Some people worry about that. I mean, maybe if it was like, you know, minus 30 degrees or something. But like not yeah. where most people live. Right. Um, so I don't know. Can I, can, I was going to say Canada. Can, can yeah. Canada, like Saskatchewan, it can be that cold, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. So maybe up there, you know, it's different. Um, like I said, I'm in Illinois, where I'm kind of the middle of the middle of the country here, but um, we we don't see that much. Um, I've never treated a true frostbite case in my life, even in dogs who live outside. So. Um, I, I work with a lot of animal rescues. I have people who have these dogs that they find the dog chained to a barrel in some loser's yard and they bring them in. And we're more concerned about treating his heartworm, you know, right, than right. are the, the, the frostbite that he doesn't have. So um, the, the other big worry, yeah, that's the big worry I get is people who say, how long is too long? I wish I had a better answer, but just go with your, go with your gut and trust your dog's body language. I think knowing the breed's important too. I thought that was a really good point And, you know, not one that... Uh, yeah, I really thought of that much is that, you know, like a husky versus a chihuahua. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you would think it's common sense, right? I mean, my, like, it's hilarious. Like my sister, my sister's such a girly girl. It's hilarious. She's got this little chihuahua, cute little thing, sweet little chihuahua, which not all of them are sweet, we know, but this one's really sweet. It's in a sweater in Florida. <laughs> well, yeah. Hey, I have an entire blog article called Does Your Dog Need a Sweater? Oh. For that very reason because – and I'm the defender of the little dogs. Even if it's not that cold outside – well, honestly, I'm coldest in the summer because everybody has to over-air condition everything. Right. You know, it's got to be like a freaking meat locker wherever you go. Yeah. So um, 
little dogs, their their surface area, the ratio of their surface area to their body weight is actually much bigger than a large dog, and so they lose all of their radiant heat kind of 360 degrees out of their body, and they can't maintain their heat. So I actually, they don't need to be frou-frou. I say manly men can wear sweaters. Um, I have a very manly brown and black sweater. It's very slimming. <laughs> for my dachshund. Um, so, um, but yeah, though, there's a lot to it. And little dogs, you know, heat rises. Little dogs are six inches from the ground. That's, that's where it's coldest, you know, um, that's where your air conditioner vents are blowing. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big proponent of obviously in the winter, everybody thinks, Oh, my dog needs a sweater. But, um, in the summer, especially if they got short hair or no hair and they're skinny, yeah, it's not crazy. So I'm on your sister's side on this one. Well, yeah, and it actually it actually hit like 40 degrees here. We had a low of 40 just a week ago. I mean, it, it does happen occasionally. Um, and you know, like I, like like I, when we were chatting before we started the show tonight, you know, you would think that like uh, the world was going to end. You know, people <laughs> throwing blankets on their plants and battening down like you know the end of the world it's, it's crazy it's so funny and on the news frost warning tonight <laughs> bring your plants in oh god Hilarious. probably saying bring your pets in too they do they, is, they, they do say that yeah. yes yeah, they say bring your pets bring in and then you got the people in. who are up in alaska and like what that's warm for us my right. dogs you know <laughs> right my labrador loves that weather you know because when it's when the one thing we do have to deal with is oppressive it's pretty it's pretty freaking hot <laughs> in the summer yeah. And so he, if he's outside, he's he's not out for very long or he's in the pool, which mm-hmm. he's a lab, so that's a good way for him to live. But he loves this weather. Like right now, like we had a high of like 65 and a low of, you know, 58. You were like to rub this in. I'm, I'm seeing this. Here. Oh, no, no. Okay. I'm just saying I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> not trying to rub in. Just saying like he, he, he is more frisky and he's he wants to be outside more. You do see the difference. It's 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 amazing. They can be sensitive to temperature. In his case, the heat is a bit much for him. So uh, that's very, very good advice. So um, any final thoughts on winter other than it sucks? <laughs> well, actually, I'll take winter over summer any day because you can always put more clothes on and you can't take more clothes off. So <laughs> True. we know how to layer here in the Midwest and we're good with it. So, yeah. So um, next week we'll be talking about... Uh, why we should spay or neuter at your clinic, I think, is the next yes, topic. So that will be, be the next topic. Um, and, well, in fact, why pay more to have your dog spayed or neutered at my clinic? And, uh, and it's not just because of his student loans. No, no. <laughs> There's a lot more to it than that. Yes. <laughs> that will be a very cool topic. So next uh, ne- next week we will be discussing. Thank you for the segue. Much appreciated. I'll also be blogging about that this week, so it'll it'll complement one another. Well, always a pleasure once again. Thank you for joining me. This is a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's kind of fun to give each other crap. <laughs> I think I think this is going to be a, a very, very, very good professional relationship here. Um, everybody have a great evening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Dr. Karen, any final goodbyes? Nope, I'll just say thank you for listening, and I'm looking forward to doing more of these with you. All right. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.